the difference was that perspective of meaning. Mm. If there's something that you feel that uh, you um, are good for, rather than you know always asking what is what is good enough for me, what do I get out of life? He turned it around and he said, maybe we are the ones who are being questioned by life. Unlock possibilities by changing your mindset. You will expand what's possible for you, for the ones around you, for the world. You're moving into a land of both blind spots and learning, of things and ideas. You just crossed over into the mindset zone. Join your guide, Anna Malikia, founder of Solo Biz Academy, the director of education for Book Yourself Solid and a PhD in psychology. The show you are about to listen is backed by popular demand from the Mindset Zone Archive Vault. To get all new episodes, make sure you subscribe via your favorite podcast app and visit mindset.zone. Yes, instead of .com, it's .zone. There you can find the episode archive, show notes, and other amazing resources, including how to four times your success so you can work smarter, not harder, and learn how to leverage your talents to make a bigger impact while enjoying the process. All at Mindset.Zone. Hi, and I'm Likian here, and in this episode, I'm so thrilled for the opportunity to speak with Viktor Frankl's grandson, Alexander Vasily. Uh, Alex is an Austrian-born filmmaker and trained psychotherapist, and he has a beautiful movie called Victor and I. It is really an impactful documentary about his grandfather, Victor Frankl. It took him about three years to do this movie where he traveled the world to bring us this insightful look on Frankel's life through the eyes of those more close to him, from family members to colleagues to people that work with him, people that their the work and life of Vitor Frankel really touched their lives. And now Alex lives in uh, LA, California, and uh, it's my pleasure to bring him to the this mindset zone podcast very special for our usa listeners and i'm going to be giving away a a copy of the dvd of this documentary victor and i and if you want to enter to win the copy of victor and i movie you just have to text to mindset zone 34 to 33444. So the text is a text message, Mindset Zone 34, the number 34, so the number of the episode. And you have to text this message, everything together, to 33444. 
And because you are a listener of this podcast, you also can get the free audiobook download and 30 day free trial of audible.com. Just go to mindset.zone forward slash audiobooks and you can uh, get that. And one of the books that you can get in the audio format is Man's Search for Meaning from Viktor Frankl, of course. So let's go now to the interview. So it's truly a pleasure to have you here in this My Mindset Zone podcast. Because I, I really, and I already did about two episodes that were around or about your grandfather, Vitor Frankl, on some of their, the things that I'm inspired about his work. So I was going over in Facebook and I saw you in Facebook and I remember of conversations that we have previously in the, in the Milton Erickson conferences and I said, I, I have to bring him to, <laughs> to interview him here and speak a little bit about you about your grandfather and about the beautiful movie that you did about his life and work. And I think my first question is how you, because for a generation, um, uh, and this my generation and previous generations, um, we know who Viktor Frankl was. We read some of his books. Um, we still have very present how um, the Second World War and the, all the things that happened afterwards and the, uh, the new restart that many people have. Uh, but the new generation, uh, this is really old stories. How they say they don't know much about, and possibly if you in a group of young gen uh, people we ask who is Vitor Frankl, probably very few people will know, oh, is the uh, about him so how will you uh, speak or introduce uh, the life and work of Viktor Frankl to this new generation yeah well um, first of all thanks for having me mm. it's a real pleasure to be here um, and um, that's a very good question actually um, and I'm not sure that uh, I, I'm not often confronted with, with the problem of bringing it because there seems to be a, a renewed interest in my grandfather's work and so it's usually people um, uh, you know approaching me and, you know, and asking me uh, uh, about the experience and about my grandfather so which I find really interesting because he's been gone for almost 20 years now and um, uh, but uh, the, the the question of uh, why is it uh, that this work that he did has uh, something to do and something to offer for the young generation, which it did, and and uh, it did so from the very beginning. He was he was uh, the founder of the Austrian Youth Counseling Centers in the 1920s, and uh, how does that tie in with his work? He was always uh, the one asking the question: Does life have a meaning or not? And uh, he thought that 
many times when you see suicide happening, that is almost always an answer of no to the question, does my life have a meaning or not? Mm-hmm. So that ties very in deeply with, with this um, central theme of logotherapy, as he called his own work. Logos from the Greek word meaning or word and therapy healing so logotherapy is really healing through meaning and his idea was that it is not only uh, a good thing to um, ask does my life have a meaning or not it is a very important thing and it is a sign of matureness if a person asks this question does my life have a meaning or not and when do we usually do that when do you see people do that the first time in their lives that's when they become adults and um, uh, uh, go uh, face those existential questions what am I here for what am I going to do with my life yeah and uh, that totally relate, relates with the new generation and the transition from like you say from the teenager years that are uh, it's much more um, who I am and then suddenly they realize I'm in the world what is my what should I be doing here exactly and, exactly and uh, I, and what you're speaking really reminds me of many of the small videos that we still can find in YouTube, thanks to YouTube, of many of his lectures and conferences. And he loved to speak in colleges and to young, uh, to uh, the new generation was, I think, one of his things, uh, speaking about this message of the meaning that we can find and how this is so important to the, uh, to the young generation, to college students and so forth. Exactly. He actually once said um, in one of his writings that it's uh, the new generation, it's actually a prerogative of that new generation and of the young generation to question the traditions and meanings that have been handed down by the previous one. Mm -hmm. They have to do it and it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And the problem is not to ask this question. Sigmund Freud said, if a person asks the question, does my life have a meaning or not, then that is a symptom of a neurosis. <laughs> that person needs to be needs to have therapy. And so here comes my grandfather and said, no, that's, that's, that's the reverse. It's not only not sick, but it's very healthy. Okay. And it only becomes a problem if you don't find an answer. Yes, totally. If there is, not, if there is no meaning there. Exactly. And that reminds me, and I can put this in the show notes for this episode. I will put the, the link to, to your movie, of course. And you have this in your movie, Victor and I. And there is also, but I will put the, the direct link to this video in YouTube that I think was a lecture that your grandfather, Frankel, did in Toronto in the, seven, in the beginning of the 70s. Yes. That is uh, using the blackboard uh, and explaining, because it was amazing. He was about 70 something when he started flying les- lessons. I think 66, yeah. 66. And then he, um, uh, he was explaining what he had learned from his flying instructor. Yep. I love that metaphor. So he was explaining, and for people Trabbing. that don't know, yes, <laughs> that we're going from point A to point B. We cannot add to point B. We have to add above point B because of that crosswinds. Because if we add to point B, we are going to be go below point B. So it's so beautiful. And then he uses that as a metaphor that when we are dealing with people, we have to uh, make them and suppose that they can achieve things more than they 
is we think is possible for allows them to arrive to their own potential. Take a person as they can be, not as they are, are. to help them become who they truly are. It's, it's, I think that is so, so, so powerful and so important message to uh, everybody. And for somebody that is looking for meaning, I think th that really resonates with them. But still going back to the question of the, uh, the I, I was thinking myself when you are answering and uh, to my own question that the new generation maybe doesn't have so present the Second World War. But uh, unfortunately, the, the world reality keep remind us that uh, atrocities and uh, so horrible things can happen now. It's happening nowadays in this world. Uh, so I think yeah, the, yeah. The, the war zones and people and there is always stories that uh, of survival that we are amazed and mainly with the, uh, I, when I see these uh, news and sometimes reports of the, how people are so resilient, it still amazes me. Yes, and, absolutely. Yeah. And Viktor Frankl was a top example of resilience and how a person that went through what he went and if somebody that is listening to this show you you don't know about Viktor Frankl and you want to know a little bit more about what we are speaking I really recommend this classic book Man Searching for Meaning that you really have a uh, inside view of what was living in a concentration camp in the Second World War and surviving it but for me the more amazing thing is not that he survived the concentration camp for me, the more amazing thing is that he survived all what he, he lived there and had one of the more positive attitudes, an optimist person that, and believing of that people in their core were good that I can find is really incredible. How do you, what is your interpretation of that or your feelings about that? I think that's a very good point. Um, it's, his story far extends the the topic of the Holocaust, and uh, this was just the kind of suffering that he had to face in his life. But uh, he knew that his message was universal, and that suffering can comes in many forms. And um, what he proposed was uh, how to deal with that suffering. And um, one of the one of the things he said was uh, despair is suffering without meaning it's it's uh, he put it down like a formula d is s minus m like a, a mathematical formula <laughs> uh, uh, if you add the dimension of my suffering has a kind of has some meaning might have some meaning then it's easier to bear the suffering and um uh, this this shows you that he was really um uh, by the way he wrote a lot more books than just man search yes. for meaning, but it just happened to be the book that he's known for. Although it's kind of a, the most personal. Well, maybe that's why, because it's the worst, most personal. And uh, there's just a small chapter about logotherapy in it, in the back. Um, and he developed these theories before he actually went into the concentration camp. But there he could see, he could test, if you like, yeah. if it was actually true that people become more, as you said, the word resilience, which is so popular now in, in, in psychology, uh, the resilience, the ability to um, be uh, to 
to bounce back and yeah. to shoulder and uh, to withstand uh, such difficult times um, as the situation in the concentration camp or any kind of suffering. Uh, and that it's of survival value if a person has the perspective of a meaning, of a purpose, and that can be in uh, the, the things to do, the work that uh, someone wants to do. Um, so oftentimes people say, I, I have to survive this because I need to do this and that. Mm -hmm. By the way, his own story, because he had to throw his manuscript away yeah. upon entering the concentration camp. And one day he was reconstructing it to keep himself awake and alive at, at night. So he felt um, this in his own experience that I still have something to yeah. do. And uh, it can be in the form of other people, other people that you and that means loving another person um, to be directed towards that I still want to meet that person I want to be there for that person that has a strong uh, high meaning and uh, but there's a third option if you don't have if it's nothing that you can do and there's no one around and my grandfather himself he would after the war return to Vienna and see that no one yeah. of the people that, that he loved um, were still alive um, but even then there's one last chance to uh, find meaning in a situation, and that is by the attitude that you adopt, the stand that you take towards your own situation. And usually it's a situation of suffering. But not only, this is also this also counts for good things, of course. How do you deal? What's your attitude towards the good things that you're experiencing in your life? Um, but it almost always comes forth when people are confronted with uh, with suffering and that's why um, the message in his work I think really stands the test of time and uh, is has been relevant from the day on that, that he put it uh, in his writings and it still is today right and uh, it's totally I totally agree let's go back to that uh, uh, you said D equals S minus M uh, go go a little bit slower and explain that because I think it's quite interesting. Yes. Well, um, yes, it's, it's, it's really, um, he discovered what is the difference in people who are uh, able to be resilient, to bounce back, even though when you look at their lives, there are a lot of tragedies, there are a lot of hard times, and yet they seem to be fine and they seem to be uh, psychologically fine and, uh, you know, feel good, enjoy life, uh, just like he did, and and you, and you you said yourself you were surprised. How does he? How could he remain so positive? He should have been a broken, bitter man after what happened. Uh, yet he had this. He had this resilience himself. And what is the difference for other people? If you look at other lives, they uh, are relatively easy if you compare them, and yet they are uh, very miserable. And and uh, the, the smallest things seem to be uh, have a, a negative impact. And uh, he found that the difference was that perspective of meaning. Mm. If there's something that you feel that uh, you um, are good for, rather than you know always asking what is what is good enough for me, what do I get out of life? He turned it around and he said, maybe we are the ones who are being questioned by life. Mm. And what are you good for? How do you respond to the situations that you and, and the opportunities that you're given in life? And what do you make out of that? Yeah. And if it's a meaningful thing, he found that this. Um, fulfills people in a way on a very deep level and makes them 
uh, more resilient and uh, able to withstand uh, any kind of hardship. And that's true for situations in like a concentration camp or a psychological uh, illness or any kind of uh, you know stress related to the, the whole um, idea of you know if, if a person has a lot of stress this person will break and if yeah. a person has little stress it's not that yeah. simple so right? in some way if the meaning is bigger than the suffering for how horrible the suffering can be Uh, the meaning can be even stronger. The, exactly. And some people, they will thrive when the pressure is on. Mm -hmm. it, they will even enjoy it more when the pressure is on and when they have a, a lot to do. And uh, other people, they don't. And the difference is, does my work, does what I do, does the direction that I uh, give and I adopt in my life have a meaning or not? Wow. And the, this is the core of logotherapy, correct? Yes, yes. It's one of the, the main uh, columns, if you like. So this idea of uh, the, the, uh, there is a, a meaning of life, that is something you can only believe in or not. It's uh, uh, not something you can, you can uh, I mean, it's, it's kind of something you have to uh, adopt yeah. as a logotherapist. <laughs> But there is something like meaning in life. And uh, it was Nietzsche who once said, uh, thirst is the best proof that there must be Uh, exists something like water. Yeah. So, <laughs> if there's no meaning in this in this world, why why are we all We're so longing for it? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And. I think one of the things that is incredible, like we were speaking, we were speaking about resilience, bouncing back, uh, the importance of, okay, it's not, uh, yes, the life situations is, um, they can be uh, the, uh, so strong and they can be so impactful, but the interpretation, how we live, what we do with it is even more important. That is uh, uh, incredible because now with the movement of positive psychology, it's part of what they are studying, it's part of that there now there are so much research about and in, in some ways like it's being a scientific validation of many of the concepts that uh, Viktor Frankl spoke like 40, 40 50 uh, no 50 or 60 years ago yeah yeah So, um, and sometimes they don't, I think uh, positive psychology, that is a mov movement that I really think is very important and uh, try to follow, uh, but I think they should recognize the origins that mm -hmm. there were people previously that already were exploring this um, in a very im important way. That The pioneers. The, the yes. pioneers, totally. Like mm -hmm. Milton Erickson, for example. Oh, yes. They, they really prepared the field, and we still can learn a lot from their lives and work. I think so, too, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about this is because we say logotherapy, and there is the word therapy and associated with it, and I think it has to do a lot with the time that this was developed in psychology and psychiatry. Everything was thinking around even uh, the existentialists and the humanists, but there was still the framework, okay, therapy, treating people. Um, but I, I think the power of this method and other uh, methods inspire for this search for meaning goes beyond helping people that have, a, let's say, a psychological problem. I think everybody in our journey of personal development, we could use these um, 
this inspiration of the and these methodologies to help us to go farther. What is your opinion about this? Uh, I, uh, very good. That you're absolutely right, and that's why uh, people always had a problem. You know, where where to put my grandfather and his work? Um, it, it doesn't really fit in any of the the boxes uh, that that were available, and um, I think now it's uh, one of the reasons is that it, it really transcended this, just you know, being a psychotherapy. Um, because yes, as you said, the, the the question of meaning that's something we um, we're all uh, asking ourselves, sometimes more conscious than other times. Uh, a lot of times, it's just something that's kind of burning under the under under the surface. Um, he often said when he was asked, "What do you think about?" the success of your book, Man's Search for Meaning, and so many people are, are buying it. And he said, I don't see so much uh, an achievement on the, my part as an author, but I'd rather see it as a symptom of the mass neurosis yeah. of today. If so many people reach for a book that promises to deal with the question of meaning, um, that is a symptom because it means that so many people are, are dealing with the question that it's a hot issue, really. And so I think, uh, yes, and there's a lot we can do. Um, and I will I, and I will argue with the the word there symptom and uh, because it's like you said the 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 metaphor of the niche that say okay if we have thirst m means that there is water uh, if we have this longing for meaning means that there is meaning out there and but nobody will say that thirst is a symptom <laughs> right. Uh, so I think it's part of it's in the core of who we are as human beings that yes. we have this longing for meaning. You know, he, my grandfather is, is perhaps the last of the founders of a really, um, you know, complete school of psychotherapy um, in, in the old tradition of the founding fathers of a psychotherapy. And he, I mean, he's, he's from Vienna. He, he still met Sigmund Freud. That was his first influence. And then he uh, worked with Alfred Adler. He was the youngest in, in the group around Adler. They would meet every Wednesday. They would <laughs> sit in the coffee house and you know, develop their ideas as, as, as it was happening in the time. And, um, and, and if you look at the core ideas of, of those two people, Freud had the, the pleasure principle. Mm -hmm. So the basic ideas was that as a healthy human being is striving for, for pleasure. And then his disciple, Alfred Adler, said, no, a healthy human being is uh, basically striving for power. Mm -hmm. That can be in the form of money or you know, influence. And along came uh, my grandfather and he said, wait a minute, I don't <laughs> think it's pleasure or power, but it's really meaning. And only if a person doesn't find that meaning that meaning that really transcends your own self, you know, something other than yourself, something bigger than yourself. And only if you don't find that, then you resort to the lower aims of this kind of self-fulfilling um, uh, meanings, this you know, ego uh, ego drive, if you like, <laughs> to at least if my life is meaningless, I, I want to have a lot of pleasure or a lot of power. Mm. But this is not the original intention. He, and he, he termed the coin will for meaning. Mm. But the quality of this will is different from the quality of, say, a, a will to pleasure or a will to power in that, as you say, it's not a symptom. It's not something that needs to be treated, but it is something that is really 
uh, a positive thing and a good thing that that's striving for a meaning and it's only becomes dangerous when you are list when you're kind of uh, following the other influences of what could motivate you in life um, and oftentimes that the, the will to meaning is 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 kind of buried yeah but if I have to ch uh, to choose between pleasure or uh, longing for pleasure longing power or meaning I think meaning is the best the best it, route <laughs> it usually gives you yeah it, it usually makes people possible uh, it enables people to do things that they they didn't think um, were possible, possible. and I've, I've seen this on a day-to-day -day basis and, mm -hmm. um, and it's really fascinating and the um, One thing that is for me very curious about you is that because like any kid, uh, when you grow up, uh, possibly you didn't have any idea of uh, the influence of your uh, grandfather, Victor Frankl, in no. so many people. He was just your gra grandfather. That's right. So when did you start to realize the, that he, he was so influential in so many people's lives? Um, well, I'd have to say that was really around the time when um, I made my first trip to one of the logotherapy-related conferences. And at that time, it was, it was in Toronto. And he was getting a little frail. He, was, um, he couldn't travel on the airplane anymore. And so he sent my sister and I as kind of um, representatives, envoys, right? <laughs> um, with, uh, with, I just I just read a text that he wrote, and um, and and I thought, you know, going there, I, I thought I need to prepare. I need to at least read one, read Man's Search for Meaning before you know um, I go there, meet these people who are so interested in my grandfather. And so I read it on on, on the airplane. Uh, on the way there, and I thought, "Wow, this really." Um, and uh, and and then there, I could see that people who had never met, because I knew him personally. I knew him as you know, he was he was just a really really interesting person to be around with, and funny and witty, and um, yeah, he had this positive energy that that would just fill the room. And um, and so now I saw that people who had never actually met him were so impacted by this this book and by the work that he did and that really started to get my wheels turning and hey, that's, that's really interesting he, he really had something to say that went beyond just the uh, you know the experiential impact that he had as a as a person yeah. and how old were you at the time I was 19 19 so whoa was in the right moment <laughs> <He's> <laughs> a little it. late even I yeah. would say <laughs> And how did that experience uh, and realizing Odyssey that the meaning of his work and for so many people and then uh, possibly even for yourself, how did that shape who you are today? Um, but that's a question that's always difficult for me to answer <laughs> because I, I don't have, you know, I don't know how my life would have turned out uh, if, if, if I had someone else as my grandfather. Um, I think uh, most of the impact was by his example. Um, the kind of person I could witness. And um, I, I'm lucky enough to have witnessed him a long time. I was 23 when he passed away. 
and um, we we were really a, a close family. So I had a, a lot of time that that um, we would just be together. And um, one of the things that um, impressed me now looking back, I didn't even know at the time so much, but one of the things was the absolute respect that he had towards you as a human being and as a person who would have the freedom to find out their own meanings and values, so to speak. And he really not only, that was not only in his books and, and how he treated uh, clients, but that was also the way um, he treated everybody, including his family. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I, I just recently thought of one example, which was when we talked about religion, which he rarely talked about. It was a very private thing to him. And um, and I I had a discussion with him, and, and at some point I felt um, it necessary to, to tell him, you know, I, I, I do believe in a higher, you know, cause and that, and in God. And um, I, I was kind of surprised by his reaction, and he, he just looked up at me, he validated that, and he said, well, I believe you that. And that's it. What repeat again? What he said? I believe. I believe that. I, I believe, believe that. Uh, so, and I wondered, you know, what what this really meant. And it, but he didn't elaborate on that. Mm-hmm. And um, looking back, I, I thought that was really one of those moments where um, he was. He looked at me. He validated this um, this comment by saying, you know, I'm I'm proud of you that you are. You're dealing with these big questions. That this is, you know, something that you you're you're thinking about. But I'm not going to uh, say more about that because this is really something you need to figure out for yourself. Is for your, yourself, is your as story. I did for myself. Exactly, yeah, it's your story. You have to write it. Exactly. So powerful. And I'm trying to wave in as many questions as I can that my listeners, they send me ahead of time when I told them uh, via Facebook that I was going to interview you. And one of, uh, and I'm, I already put one or two in the interview, but there is a couple of them that I would like to also ask. And one I think really is a follow up from this conversation that there is a quote from Frankel the salvation of man is through love and in love. Uh, what was your experience of how he shared this with his family? I think you already said about that, but um, I would like to. To know a little bit more, how how is this motto of uh, true love or in in love is was also important in the family life? Uh, well, I, I, you know, this was something he would not he he would write so beautifully and and so precisely about uh, love and love being a phenomenon that you could not uh, reduce you know, he was he was against this idea of re- reducing everything to to um, as he said the, the formula is always nothing but mm-hmm. you know, nothing, love is nothing but a, a, a drive or sublimated you know pleasure drive or whatever but that there are some human phenomena that you have to take at face value if you like and, and love will be one of them it's more than the sum of its parts yeah. and um, he, he wouldn't talk about it but uh, I, I like the idea of you know that love has to do with the time that you that you make for people and he was a very driven person and uh, his work was very very central obviously I mean, if you look at you know, what he did um, he was he was always um, 
very constant of the uh, conscious uh, of the value of time, of time not only for him, but uh, you know, time of others mm -hmm. uh, that others would spend with him, and what would be the most meaningful thing to do with your time right now. So there again, you see the concept of meaning, yeah. which which goes through from the big concept of a bigger meaning to what are we doing actually right now, and this is the best use of time. This was the only thing he was greedy about. Was, you know, <laughs> if you felt someone was wasting his time, he mm -hmm. was out of the door before you could, mm -hmm. you know, notice. So, but uh, he spent the time, and sometimes he would just really he would put aside the work and said, "Now it's really time to to play." Mm -hmm. So you knew yeah. how to play. It was family time, oh, it was yeah. playtime oh, yeah. with the grandkids, it was playtime. He would take that as serious as, you know, when it was time to work or you know, somebody called and said, Dr. Frankl, I'm going to kill myself, which often happened. And then, you know, just say, I'm sorry, but I have to take this call. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he would he would be on that call sometimes for hours. But uh, but he valued the time and, and the the playtime and oh yeah he was he was funny and he would take us to you know my first memory of my life is Disneyland <laughs> believe it or not <laughs> wow I think he took that as an excuse because he enjoyed it himself so he's like let's take the kids and <laughs> yeah fantasy and the let's uh, playing yes, and yes. and the other side okay if love is so important in our lives that it is and I, to I totally like this of not reducing it to something else But the other side of the coin, or they say, for us to be in that, enabled um, to be open for love, we have to be able, and this is another question that was sent in, that how does one surrender beyond a sense of judgment in order to practice forgiveness? Because in order to be open for love, in order to be able to love, we have to forgive. And this, I think, the question... Uh, is and, very relevant for and, all and, the experience of the Holocaust, but any experience in our lives that we have to forgive people in order to be open to love. Can you speak a little bit about this? Yeah, that's that's another great question. Um, uh, he would, the, the one thing he would always talk about was meaning, and the other thing was responsibility. How do we respond to to a situation? And he would often uh, finish lectures in, in, in the U.S. by saying, you, you, you have all these uh, ideas about liberty, and you have the stature of liberty yeah. even, and, and a lot of things that even if they're not the smartest choices, but it was saying, okay, I have the freedom to do this. Yes, you do. But he said, freedom is just one side of the of a bigger phenomenon whose other side is responsibility. And that's why I think you should supplement and complement your statue of liberty on your east coast by a statue of responsibility on your west coast. Oh. And and people love that. And there's actually a group now that's that's trying to make that a reality. But um, what did he mean by responsibility? How do we respond? And if life asks you a question, how do you respond and what does that say about you? And um, one of the things with responsibility comes the uh, inevitably uh, the fact that you're going to make mistakes and that you're going to make the wrong choices. And then you have the responsibility for what you did. Yeah. And if you did it, if you did it, right then it's called an achievement but if you did it wrong then you are guilty and uh that's just the situation that's a, the the human condition that uh, this is a fact and sooner or later everybody's going to become guilty and uh how do you deal with that and can life still be meaningful uh in in face of that heavy load of 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 guilt and um i think that's where forgiveness comes in and he was very clear about 
you know, guilt is something very personal. You can only be guilty for something that you have done or that you have not not done but should have done. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that can be transferred by what your parents have done or your grandparents have done. Or... um, uh, or this idea of if you are a part of a, of, of a larger group, if you're born in Germany, uh, does that make you responsible for, for the Holocaust? Yeah. Of course not. It's, it's ridiculous. And he was at the, he experienced this, yeah. what he called collective guilt, this yeah. idea of collective guilt himself. And so he was among those people, uh, and I've only heard that from everybody who was a Holocaust survivor, said you cannot blame a whole population and even less uh, a population of a descendant population of, of, of that group and you have to be very careful with not applying not making that same mistake of applying a collective guilt onto a, a larger group of people look at the responsibilities and the choices that people have made in a certain situation are they really responsible are they guilt are they guilty and if they are then you have to address that and then you can talk about forgiveness and and not last but not least you know the forgiveness you practice towards yourself yes um, which is is often you know the the biggest problem yeah because the self-guilt and the the need of self-forgiveness is so so important right whoa um and i think this is one of the things that you um uh, is one of really your strengths is that the way that you you um, because when you're speaking about this, I was uh, uh, thinking about of the movie Victor and I uh, that you you did and how you managed to illustrate, how you managed to bring all these things forward in the movie through the interviewing other people there, through telling their stories and uh, how, how important this is. So I, I would like to leave here... Uh, <laughs> Uh, um, if people listening to to this interview, if uh, this conversation is being interesting for you, I really invite you to go, and I will put this in the the links, um, this link in the show notes to see the movie Victor and I, because it's really a beautiful piece of cinema. Is uh, very well done, and I think your uh, you bring your training as a, a psychotherapist in your way that you do and you interview in a way of going more deeper and uh, connecting the dots in a beautiful way and you produce there uh, a beautiful documentary about your grandfather's life oh, thank um, you. that I really recommend for everybody to see and maybe to be the starting point of knowing more about Viktor Frankl know a little bit to the ones that already know a lot about him to know some of the personal side of the story too and how we can use this as inspiration for our own lives and to keep in our journey of personal development so uh, do you have any last thoughts or any message that you like to leave for our listeners Oh well, I think I think you wrapped it up beautifully, and uh, thank you so much. It's, I, I really enjoyed this interview because it's always you can always sense if somebody understands, and and you do. Um, mm-hmm. So, is uh, I'm very grateful. <laughs> so am I. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I really enjoy. 
um, having this opportunity to speak about the work and life of Viktor Frankl with somebody that uh, <laughs> knew him in person in a very special role of his grandson, and that study afterwards his work and logotherapy um, and uh, did a beautiful movie about uh, Viktor Frankl life that I really recommend that you go and see uh, and f you can get it in amazon.com and very special for the uh, USA listeners you can enter to win a copy of the DVD of Victor and I uh, you just have to text mindset zone 34 so everything together mindset zone 34 and the number is 33444 you can go to the show notes at mindset.zone forward slash 34 and there you can find the links to where you can buy this documentary uh, also a video of Viktor Frankl the one that I spoke during the interview is a four minute video that is amazing and so powerful that already spoke I, I had one episode uh, that really was the inspiration for it that is episode number seven searching for meaning are you aiming enough um, and also join the Facebook group mindset.zone forward slash Facebook grateful that you cross over into the mindset zone expand what's possible for you for the ones around you for the world thank you for listening and remember to visit mindset.zone yes instead of .com is .zone there you can find all the episodes and other amazing resources as always I'm so grateful that you have crossed over into the mindset zone spend what's possible for you for the ones around you, for the world.